it's funny fighting the mental coming from a small town, not knowing money, not coming from money, now managing a billion dollars plus by the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to change your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're fighting that you're just this little kid from this small town and this wasn't your world. Well, it became my world. I willed that into existence, you know. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. In this episode, I sit down with Dana Cornell. Dana was an extremely successful wealth manager for Morgan Stanley, managing over $1.5 billion, billion with a B, billion dollars in assets. And a few years ago, he just decided to walk away from all of that, even though he was top 40, under 40 at the firm. At some point, Dana realized that the wealth management industry was really not about managing wealth for their clients, but about building wealth for themselves. And he just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So he left his dream job to go find a better way. On this episode, he shares the real formula for building wealth. He explains what the different types of equity are. And probably most controversially, he explains why you should probably not be investing in commercial real estate right now. So if making money, building wealth, things like that are important to you, then you're going to want to check out this conversation that I had with Dana Cornell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I am sitting down making friends with Dana Cornell. Dana, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show. It's great to see you, man. Thanks hey, for having me. You know what? It's good to meet in person. I feel yeah. like we've talked a bunch over the last you know year and a half, two That's years. For sure. Hope you get on some podcasts and then talking about developing a show for you and all that good stuff. And through that time, I've seen a lot of the content you're putting out. And the thing is, bro, like I try to, you know, there's so much noise in yeah. the online space, especially when it comes to business, making money business opportunities. And there are so many people that are not qualified to speak into those things, yet they still continue to do so and get a lot of traction doing so, unfortunately. So I like to bring on people who I find sometimes that, you know, maybe you don't have the biggest following, but you should because you actually know what the hell you're talking about. So let's build some context uh, for those people watching or listening that may not know who you are. Go back in time a little bit and let's say Let's say a seven, eight-year-old Dana set the scene for me. Well, you know, where were you in the world? What was life like growing up for you? I yeah, guess. man. So I grew up a small town called Olean, New York, south of Buffalo. I say Buffalo because no one knows where Olean, New York is. Yep. About 14,000 people. My dad's an excavation contractor. My mom's a kindergarten teacher. So pretty- So you're rolling in the dough growing up. Then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> killing it. Yeah. But, you know, we were fine. You know, I didn't know any better anyways. Sure. And that was the whole town, basically. So lower middle class, we were comfortable, but certainly didn't grow up with money, didn't know anything about it. One of the best lessons, I worked with my dad every summer mm. when my friends are out screwing around. doing. I've got a shovel in my hand doing that, and he's teaching me a lesson to figure it out if you don't want to work like this the rest of your life. Sure, dude. Yeah, I definitely remember early days like that. I, I, 
I don't think it was my parents' goal to teach me that lesson. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Right. I think they just wanted to instill hard work in me. <laughs> yeah. And then the lesson that I took away from it was yeah. like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like even working on my own. You yard, learn it you pretty know? quick one way or another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Working on my own yard yeah. on Sunday afternoons, Saturdays, and being like, I don't want to yeah. have to do this That's when right. I grow up. So That's right. I'm going to try to find something no, else. I don't do any of that stuff <laughs> yeah. for myself. Yeah. Exactly. I'm with you. Exactly. Okay. So you did you did you enjoy school? Was like, did you enjoy sports? Was there certain yeah. I was an athlete, you know, three sports in high school, played football in college. That was my football was the that was my passion. What what, what, uh, what position you play? Played uh, well, switched from tailback to safety in college. Okay, yep. So obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, did you you like playing tailback or safety more? Safety, really? Yeah, Mm. yeah. How come? I'm just I'm fast and I can hit hard. Okay, you know, yeah, that's fair. Fitting for a safety, so it worked out all right. I played tailback my junior year Did you? of high school and then uh, switched to fullback my senior year after I gained okay. a little bit of weight. You know, yeah. And then this other guy came in who was a little bit faster than I was to play tailback. Yeah. But I do remember, dude, I, it sucks with football because I feel like my son is four and I loved playing football, but it's like I'm really cautious of getting my son interested in it because of it's just so rife with injuries and like CTEs are a real thing. thing. There's a lot of there's a just a, a lot more science about it now than you know than we had when I was growing up or when you were yeah. growing up and now that we have the science that's like ah, I can't I don't know like in good conscience and continue Man, to encourage my what, kid to I just told there, this you know? story yesterday so I'd had a pretty bad concussion in high school did you and you know back then you got your bell rung and if you're okay you go back in the game yeah, and I got the second one in the same game had to go to a specialist and the guy says you're gonna play in college and I'm 16 at the time like, I don't I don't know. Hope yeah, so, but yeah, I don't know. Right. That'd be sweet. It's like, well, take this pill before every game and don't play in college. Like Looking back, like, that's terrible advice. It's horrible. Interesting. Of course, I played in college, went on to get other concussions and who knows the after effects. So yeah, yeah right. having a four and a five-year-old, two boys, I get it, man. Yeah. Is there like a certain sport that you're kind of like, yeah, go try this one out? <laughs> you know, right now we're trying all of them, Yeah, right? That's yeah. the beauty of that age. They're, it's t-ball, it's basketball, it's soccer, it's- yeah all the all the things i I played a lot of basketball growing up that was kind of my sport and so i would love to see them play basketball but i told my wife like the non-negotiable for me for both my daughter and my son i was like they can play whatever sport they want to play in addition to golf (laughs) it's like you gotta just you gotta play golf because like i just like now as a you know 31 year old i wish i would have spent more of my time growing up playing golf than i did playing basketball because like i play basketball on the weekends and i have have a really good time doing it and gets it's the best conditioning in the world yeah it's the best cardio that you can do and i uh i I still play on the weekends still play pickup here and there and whatever but but golf is something that you can use and play till you're 90 like literally till my grandpa is 93 it's been a couple of years since we played, but like literally when he was 90, 91, we, amazing, he, he would man. go out and hit nine holes with me, Yeah, you know, and, and like do pretty well. He's yep. like, he doesn't hit far, but he hits straight because he's, old man he's got the technique. He's yeah, playing exactly. old man golf. Yep. He knows what's up. Drive 160 right yeah. down the middle of the fairway, you know, yeah. so he still ends up better than me. Spraying I'm balls driving, all over like <laughs> I'm us. I'm driving yeah. 290, like up on the right and <laughs> the other hole and shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. he's like just straight down I know the that fairway. Yep. That's right. But he gets a bogey every hole and he's just yeah. out there happy to be out playing golf. Yeah. You know, just yeah. like, ah, ah, man, I missed, I missed out. You're right. I wish I would have played a little bit more. Golf my dad didn't I play. Around. I started playing, you know, in business. Yeah. That right. was He's how I grew super my helpful first in that sense. Yep. And you wish then you started playing when you were little and thankfully totally. my boys love it. And selfishly, oh, nice. you know, you're, you know, it as a father, 
Yeah, dude. Selfishly, I want to be the that old guy out there playing. Oh, for sure. Playing golf with those kids. Plus, I was like, <laughs> selfishly, if my if I could like choose a sport for my kid to play professionally, it would be golf. Oh, for just sure. Just because like I can travel and go watch them play golf at the most <laughs> yeah. pristine courses yeah. in the yeah. fucking world. Like, like I hey, can, can show dad up. get on tomorrow? Exactly. Yeah. Like before the tournament starts, <laughs> the 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 course is in the best condition it'll be in all year because they yep. made it that way for the PGA. You know, you just show up a couple of days before, hit hit a quick eighteen. Like, man, yep. that would be that's that's the dream right there. It's yep. better than going to a bunch of sweaty basketball gyms in the middle. Made of the dad world. proud, kid. Made <laughs> yeah, dad exactly. proud. <laughs> uh, plus, my daughter can play it too, and she yeah, can. You know, that's it, awesome. it's a, also a really good for her to know how, how to play. You know, it could, it, there's so many advantages that you can get from just playing games like that, golf or poker, even like things like that that can put you in rooms or get you in front of people that you normally just wouldn't be able to get yeah. in front of. Uh, and there's there's so much additional value and to the that. And mental toughness from individual sports. Individual you know? sports, yeah. I, I never played any individual sports Same. in like tournament style or anything like that. So I, I can't I can't imagine that would you know I, I can't imagine the pressure of that would you know yeah turn you into a diamond like pretty pretty quickly you yeah know, if you're going to stick in the sport yeah I'm Got stressed to. out at the club member guest tournament yeah, so exactly. you know <laughs> yeah we're just playing a scramble <laughs> for shots at the end and I'm like sweating right? up on the tee yeah. <laughs> Okay, so like playing sports a lot, and then college. What, what, what was college like for you? Yeah, guys I went to college. College was great. Did your parents kind of really push college, or was it kind of like do what you need to do, do what you want to yeah, do? Yeah, they that were part. encouraging of whatever I was going to do. Okay, you know, yeah. it wasn't really a question of college or not college. I didn't think I was going to end up doing what I did, honestly. Okay. But college was great, man. College was fun. Playing a sport in college is a hell of an experience, and yeah, we had a great time. Go? Brockport State, Where's small that? state school outside of Rochester, New York. Okay, gotcha. So, what was your major? Ended up business administration okay. with finance. I stretched it out a bit. Okay. I threw that extra year in there. Yeah, so yeah. I ended up finance, accounting, and pre-law. How did you find your experience with the, the education piece, the knowledge base that you got from college? Like if you if you had just left with that without the the sports, the experiences, and the friendships and networking that you got, yeah. like would it have been worth it just for the body? You know, it's funny. We just had my little cousins asking me my opinion of should I go to college or should I just go buy a business? Cause he yeah. hears me preach sure. the benefits of acquiring a business and acquiring 40 years of somebody's hard work and labor. It's a hard question to, to answer, right? Sure. It gives you a basis of knowledge, but can I say today I lean on what I learned there and did I take it all that seriously? No. Yeah. Hell no. You know? Yeah. It's tough, man. I, especially now as a parent, I always look at it through these like selfish lenses of how I'm going to teach my kids. Cause I still don't know. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I hope I'll figure it out before they're, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, and actually right. really get into the crux of the decision-making time yeah. of their lives in that sense. But yeah, right now I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place on it. Like every, it seems like every day I have a different conversation with somebody that's like, ah, well, I'm almost to the point now where it's like, unless it's going to be something like lawyer, doctor, you know, where like you kind of have to go to a school and get a degree and, a, yeah. and, and ideally a good school because you're, it's going to depict how your career is going to go and things like that. Barring that, it seems like the only real way that it works, especially for like business or entrepreneurship or finance or any of these things, is if you're going to these super expensive kind of more Ivy League type 100%. schools because it's not even necessarily just the education piece. It's it's also just the relationships that you're building there. Much more so. And then it's the name on your resume that gets you the door into, opener. Yeah, the, the door, door somewhere. You know, um, where you can actually go do something with it. But that's also like to me, it's like that's if you want to be employed at a high level as well. Like you can make a shit ton of money being a consultant at a, you know, at a, at a firm or, you know, working for a big four for or like, you know, you, you can make a good amount of money doing that, but you are still going to be an employee. Yeah. Like don't get it wrong. Like you will be in the office 75 hours a week. 
So like that to me is still not as good of a path as entrepreneurship where you can buy somebody else's business and then like fix it up, make it better, put some lipstick on it and then like actually cash flow. I tend um, to agree you know, about what you're making and then you can go do what you want to do and you can play golf with your kids and you know live the lifestyle that you want to live. But yeah, I just I go back and forth on it all the time, man. It's just like there could be so many benefits that come from it, but also you're saddling yourself to a quarter million dollars in debt. Like I'm not going to pay for it for you. <laughs> you know what you I mean? Know? Yeah. Especially it's not a knock on a psychology degree or yeah you know but sure sure spend that amount doesn't always equate to your right. you your graduate with a potential mortgage. when you come out yeah it's crazy mortgage payment and you're saddled to that yeah until it's off your your plate right you know so like the things that you could be doing with your additional money is actually going to pay your school bill when it could be going into alternative investments or like putting some yep. money here or setting some money aside for this or some personal development things or a coach or whatever it's like you're yeah. putting this into this 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 thing that you know it's so hit and miss, you know, I, I told my wife, I was like, I don't think that I want to, if my kids do want to go to school, I don't think that I want to pay for it for them. If I'm being honest, like I, 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 again, that could totally change by that time. And we're like, we're going to be putting money away for them either, sure. like either way, but I would rather put money away for them and then teach them to invest that money rather than, you know, spend it on a $200,000 education that they think they need, but then they go get a degree in something that doesn't really matter. And then they end up having to come out of school and go be, you know, a welder anyway. And it's yeah. like, well, you could have just done that yeah. and skip the 200 K in debt. 100%. It's like, if you, if you don't teach your kids the gravity of how much money they're spending, because it's your money that they're spending, then they're not going to take it as seriously. Like they're not, they like, they don't have the risk of putting 200 K in its degree. That's not going to do anything for them. Yeah. You know, but then in five years, they're going to come back and live at my house. So it's like, I paid 200 K for your degree. So you can come live at my house and I can pay your bills for the next five like, years. Let me like, get this straight. You didn't make the PGA tour. You yeah. spent 200 grand on my money and you're back here. This is a awesome. bad deal for me. Yeah. <laughs> get the fuck out. You know, we'll figure it out, man. I but, agree though, man. Yeah. I mean, it, the practical skills, the whole education system, in my opinion, is completely fucked yeah it's broken yeah you know you you worry too definitely about the the just ideology of a lot of like these leftist kind of leaning campuses it's like look i'm i'm very much a person that's like go get other people's opinions like especially for my kids like yeah. i want them like obviously i would love for them to end up on a lot of the same pages that i've ended sure. up on just because that would be better for our relationship but if they don't i'm okay with that and i want them to hear other people's perspectives and opinions but in a space where they can actually parse through other people's opinions and right. decide what's right for them, not be, be beaten over the head until they acquiesce to whatever this guy's saying is the truth. Right. When all this person's ever done is like stand behind a lecture pulpit for 25 years, yeah. never actually had to do anything in the real world, doesn't understand. Like you can spew ideology all day, but like uh, called idealism for a reason, like it doesn't actually work in yeah. the real world. And you've ever been in the real, real, real world. You never had to come across like you never had to like combat that head on. So it's easy to just like keep, you know, proliferating these, these, these just like For sure. tropes and lies that aren't going to actually benefit my kid, but could get into his psyche and change the way he thinks about, you know, the world in a negative way. So it's like, there's also that to consider, but yeah, you know, it's just, it's hard it's, to be tough, practical, hands-on experience though, Yeah, you know, in whatever yeah. you're doing. True. True. It's like, it's kind of almost like the requirement. It's like, sure, go to school, but also like while you're there. You know, that's why I like the, the door to door summer program so much. And I, f I feel like everybody says this, but 
like any everybody that does something that that was a good experience says like everybody should do this for a, a x period of time you know anybody who's ever like been in wait like a wait staff or like been a waiter or bartender yeah. or something like it's like everybody should work in food service for at least a year or whatever <laughs> right. you know it's like okay well easy for you to say because that's not. what you did you yeah. know what i mean and i'm like i understand it's probably a good you know like a, a good sure. job to have it teaches you some social skills you know it's <laughs> it's it's in an industry that you're going to be consuming for the rest of your life and it like gives you a perspective from the other side of the table i get why you're saying it but also like there's a lot of other things that you can do I was listening to Chris Williamson's podcast this morning. He's one of one of he's turned into one of my favorite podcasters and he used to be a club promoter. Okay. A club promoter. And he said the same thing. He's like, I think everybody should be a club promoter for like three months because, you know, of these reasons. And it was like, ultimately, it's anything that makes you put yourself into an uncomfortable environment where you have to speak to people and come up with stuff out of nothing. Yeah. Like that to me is like the thing. So for me, it was door to door. I had five, six years of hundred percent commission, door to door sales. And like there's not many other things that will teach you how to cut your teeth and talk to people in that small of a feedback loop as door-to-door sales will. That's how I so, built my first business. So I'm with you, man. Really? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, so, yeah. so, And let's talk about that in a second. So like that was, that to me is like, that's what I'm looking at is like, you sure go get an education, but also while you're there, you got to do real world things. Telemarketing, real estate sales, door-to-door sales, sales yeah, right? Something sales like rules that. The world. Club promoting, whatever, you know? Even like being a, a waiter or waitress is if you can be good at it and work somewhere that actually gives you opportunity and teaches you these things and, you know, puts you in front of wealthy people at the table rather yep. than like being a Burger King or whatever. Right. Like if you can get in those environments, like that's also a sales job, yep. like upselling entrees and desserts and like, like learning how to use your words to influence people is a skill that will take you into every single part of your career. So whatever that looks like, do that 100% for at least some period of time. You know what I mean? So yeah, tell, tell me about your, your experience. I get out of college, think I'm dead set on law school. Just it's funny what we just talked about. Cause my parents are like, look, we helped you through your undergrad. We are not paying for law school. Figure <laughs> this out. I'm like, Oh shit. Good. Okay. <laughs> let me rethink this. So I deferred law school for a year and I figured I would try finance because it didn't cost me anything. And mm-hmm. if I gave myself a year, if it didn't work out, I would know my path and carry on with law school. Sure. Went to a company called Edward Jones and their business model is you start out knocking on doors. And it was perfect for me because coming from a small town, that's not a wealthy town anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone that had money, Yep. you know, which it's funny now looking back at the business I built and, you know, I managed 1.4 billion at Morgan Stanley, Forbes 40 under 40, best advisors in the state, all these all these big things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I'm still a kid from a small town that grew up with a shovel in his hand and with no connection. And I had to start knocking on doors to build a list of people to talk to. So is this like business to business knocking on doors? Like who who was your who was your clientele? Who was your business owners and in residences? Okay. So you, you know, were literally going like I'm, to houses. Oh yeah. Door to door houses. Yeah. I'd get confused for being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, that was a funny day and a half of people slamming doors You're in my face. A tie out there. Yeah, so I've got you know this is November, December, January in Western New York. Yeah. It's freezing. I have long johns on under my way oversized suit, and I'm out knocking on doors, just finding as many people as I can, just to have conversations and just like we just talked about, right? To be able to think on your feet, have a conversation, adapt yeah. in the moment, and get used to rejection. Right, Dude, that's and how to deal game. with that. That's gold. Like rapport and rejection to me is like those are the the lessons to, that you 100%. just you have to learn them, or you will quit. And you don't get it, it in a book. It won't take you six months to quit. It'll take you four days. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like the average door to door salesperson lasts for less than a month. You know, it's like yeah. less than a week a lot of times. And we like when we would train 
that was kind of what I would teach people who were trying to build teams. Like when I, when, as I would build teams and then people would ask me about building teams and I'd be like, they would do their first couple of recruits. And it's like, if you don't get them a sale in the first like 48 to 72 hours, they're done. Mm-hmm. They got to draw blood. They got to taste blood quickly or they're not going to stick in this game. It is a brutal yep. game to stay in. But if you can s- stick in it and like persist past that time period, then it can be one of the best like things that you do. And the high when you get that first sale though. Oh dude. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like, especially like that first paycheck. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this right. was like way more than any of my friends are making. You yeah. Know, at 19 for sure. or 20 years old. You, that, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, you get that first taste of blood and it's like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, I call it the, you know, your rejection bank. It's like you, you, you yep. get it, You put a massive deposit Love in that. the rejection bank. Every time you, you get that paycheck or you get that big win, it's like you taste blood. It's like, boom, huge deposit in the rejection bank. Now I feel like I'm bulletproof at least for a certain period of time, right? So now right. I can go back out and get no, 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 no. But I can be like, yeah, but I just made like 3,500 bucks last week. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> when like my friends are working at Burger King for eight weeks to make that. And then it reframes your mind. Totally. I, kn- I knew if I talked to 25 people, it's going to take me 25, 23 no's to get to a yes. Yep. That's right? exactly it, dude. I started like, teaching my out, people to out. do the math. I was just like, all you got to do is do the math and focus on the math, not the emotion. It's like, do the math. How many doors does it take for you to get a deal? At first, it's going to be a lot. It might be 100. It might yep. be 150. It might be 200. Yep. But there is a number. You know what I'm saying? Like You will convert a sale at some point. You yep. will, 100%. It's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when. Yep. It's just a matter of, like, can you withstand the no's until you get to that? But once you get to the yes, now mm-hmm. you can do the math. Okay, it took me X amount of doors. All I got to do is knock this amount of doors more, and I will get another deal. But the beautiful thing is that the more you do it, the better you get. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't take me 150 doors. It takes me 100, and then it takes me 50. And yeah. then like you're saying at the end, it's like, man, like we can go to a neighborhood. I can cherry pick 10 houses. And I know that right. if I cherry pick the right houses, I'll walk out with a couple deals. Yeah. Like you just, you just start getting really, really good at it. How long did you do the door-to-door thing for? It probably was, it worked for me, right? And I resonated. I started, I hated it. Yeah. Like everyone. And then you see the results, like you just explained. So I, by the end of it, I'd knocked on 1,800 doors in the first six, eight months. Nice. But I did that for the first five years of my career, way wow. past when I needed to, just because. Wow. All you know, residences. Residents and businesses. Okay. So, so just, I'd, I'd hit business owners in the morning because they're usually the first ones in there getting things yep. ready for the day, catch them before they got too busy and would be annoyed that I'd walk in and, yeah. you yeah. know, try and start a conversation. And then I'd hit neighborhoods. So like businesses in the morning neighborhoods in the afternoon. Yep. And what was your pitch? Like what were you, you were selling just financial management or wealth management or? So at the time I wasn't selling anything. So my thought process was people have gotten away from face-to-face interaction at this time. You know, I want to go up, shake their hand. And primarily my clientele is retirement type people, right? Mm -hmm. So they're used to looking you in the eye, shake your hand. Sure. Right. Have a real conversation. So I just quite simply just simplified it and said, Hey, I just want to introduce myself, starting a business in the area and then get curious, right? Got it. Best way to sell, start asking questions and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. find some pain points along the way. So I started asking them questions about what are they concerned about? Who do they do business with in town? What did they like about them? What did they not? You know, are you interested in something? And okay, well, if I see something that may interest you on that, I'll, I'll follow up. Right. Interesting. So then you- open the door for another interaction. Okay. So you were trying, at, at first you were just trying to build rapport and sell an appointment. Like let, let's sit down and yeah, see if there's something. Eventually. 
I mean, quite honestly, at first I just needed people to talk to. Yeah. Right. right. I'm learning it. So I don't even know what to say. I don't know what people want to hear. I don't know what their pain points are. Right. So I figured I just needed to have enough conversations. Yeah. That there'd be common themes along these conversations that I could then pinpoint. That's, I mean, that's the difference, right? Between you and people who don't figure it out is like most people, you just got a hundred percent commission job, right? That's what it was. Yeah. It was a minor salary if you call it that. I okay. Mean, it was, yeah. They, they're it's paying you a draw basically yeah, exactly. like $1,100 yep. oh, a month. Yep. And then once you get commission past it, you get paid just commission right. instead of your draw. Exactly. And then, but basically like if you're only draw for three months, you're fired. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly. Like, they put in turn yeah. quickly. It's like you are not meant to live That's off of exactly this. Right. Yeah. So they didn't give you like lists or prospects. Like they didn't. They didn't give you anything to go off of. They're just like, hey, we sell whatever. Did you have to get licensed, like insurance? Yep. So, so, so you were selling series insurance seven sixty three insurance okay. license. Okay. Gotcha. So it's full wealth management. Okay. Got it. You know, with training wheels on, basically. And what company was this? It was Edward Jones Investments. Okay. Yep. So then you're just basically like. I got to go sell stuff. I have zero prospects. How do I go sell stuff? That's and it. then th- th- that's what I love about it, dude. That's that's why I always loved door-to-door. Um, there was a, a manager that I had or a, somebody that was kind of a mentor when I was doing it. And he was like, the coolest thing about door-to-door salespeople to me, man, he's like, we're the only people in the world that can just go make business out of nothing. Yeah. Like the turn nothing into business. And it's like, yeah, marketers do that a lot as well. But marketers aren't typically the ones that are closing the deals too. They're generating the lead, they're generating interest, and they pass it off to somebody else. But like he's like door door salespeople. He's like there are marketers and salespeople in one unit. They can just go out into a neighborhood and then walk away with customers. Yeah, and it's like if you can learn that skill, that will be applicable for the rest of your career. Yeah, and obviously that's how it was for you. You said you did it for five years. Yeah, probably the first five years of my career. You know, just really to stay sharp and stay. It's easy to sit in your office and yeah, hope the phone rings. Right. Right. So just to yeah. stay hungry and stay sharp, I would, I continue to do it. And it's the fastest way you'd get results. Do you remember your first deal? Yeah. I had a, somebody gave me a check. We started a 529 college savings plan for 250 bucks and I thought I'd made it. Okay. Yeah. Got one in the, got one in the door. Yeah. <laughs> Ring the bell. So we would take those names and you'd go to a, a training at the home office and you'd have to call all these people and ask them to buy something on the phone. And this lady bought a $5,000 tax-free bond from me, right? Nice. I'm like, holy shit. This lady yeah. actually just said yes and gave me five grand after one conversation. The belief, man. Yeah. Takes and that it belief. just scales up from there and that turned into a, a billion four. And so at what point did you make the switch over to, what was the company that you were managing for? I ended up with Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley. How, when did that transition come? So I got off to a fast start because of that with Edward Jones. I had a big office, great team at what was then Smith Barney in my hometown. Okay. Didn't plan to go back there. Great opportunity. Interesting. It looked like the old regime might retire. I could inherit some of that or All buy right. them out. So it's kind of like you started off as basically just a rep. You were doing really well. You started training other people. You kind of had your own team and then you grew into like... I'm ready for my own office yeah. and this area is available. Yeah. And I knew, so Edward Jones was a great company. It still is, but they're limited in what they offer. Hmm. They serve a certain level of client. Yeah. And I saw a need to go deeper. And at the time it was managed money. Okay. Right. Moving away from commission-based to a fee-based model. Hmm. And they didn't offer that. So I was looking for a change. These guys happened to call. They wanted a young, hungry guy to come back because it's hard to get someone to come to a small town in Western New York. Sure. All my family's there. So that's how that started. And then it just 
continued to scale and the checks got bigger. And did you at any point shift your personal clientele to like, I'm only, you know, working with people that are doing yeah. this type of what, what? Yeah. So as I built, you know, what, what I think set me apart and got me out to the start and the career that I've had at Morgan Stanley and since then is most advisors will stop at the sales side of the business. They don't hone their skill set, right? So this goes back to college, right? I don't think college, my business degree didn't teach me much, gave me some basic economic fundamentals, shit like that. Mm -hmm. But I have a certified financial planner designation and certified investment management analyst. Okay. Probably the stats are like 1% of advisors have that combination of knowledge base. Gotcha. And it's intensive to get both of those. Right. So I had a different level of expertise. Mm -hmm. So that naturally positioned me to work with wealthier and wealthier clients. That's why I ended up in the family wealth division of Morgan Stanley, dealing with what they term ultra high net worth. Hmm. Got it. So when you made that switch, did you have to change a lot about who you were or how you showed up? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's always, it's funny fighting the mental coming from a small town, not knowing money, not coming from money, now managing a billion dollars plus by the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to change your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're fighting that you're just this little kid from this small town and, you know, this wasn't your world. Yeah. Well, it became my world. I, I willed that into existence, you know? Right. Well, I found the consumer base, like the way that you talk to somebody when you're going door to door knocking on residences is much different than the way that you're going to talk to somebody who's managing a $200 million family office. For sure. Right. So this is a, like a conversation I've had with people where. I didn't really realize that, you know, like when I was doing sales before, it was like sales is sales, sales is sales. And it's like, well, no, not really. You know, like there's a, there's a big difference between this like transactional burn and turn door to door game yeah. and this like very relational, like you're fishing in a small pool at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like you can learn on the fly and go door to door and you can never run out of doors to knock on. That's it. You will just knock, 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 knock. You could do it for your entire career, make a good living and never run out of doors to knock on. Yeah. Whereas over here, you can't just burn and turn. You can't piss off people. You can't get into yelling matches in their driveway. You know, you can't, you can't do the shenanigans that you do right. as a door to door salesperson. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you, or else your reputation's burning. Right. You can't do business with anybody. Right. Yep. So what are some, I guess, what are some communication tips or some communication advice with regards to speaking to high level people for those out there who want to change the quality of the people that they're hanging out yeah, with? Yeah, it's a great question, man. You know, I think your skill set naturally gravitates you towards, or people will gravitate towards you, is probably the right way to say it, hmm. when you have a certain level of expertise. And that's what I realized. So I was always trying to refine my craft. And by doing that, that allowed me to go deeper with people serve a higher level of net worth because they have more complex needs. And that's what you meant by going. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Going beyond the sale? Beyond the sale, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like getting good at the actual like craft. It's the execution after that. Right. And then sure. the sale becomes a referral. I'm not chasing people. People want to become part of my clientele because yeah. I serve a very specific niche and have these specific results. And now you have a track record. Right. So yeah. if you stay consistent and consistently grow and evolve yeah. in your skill set, you're naturally going to move up market. And that's what happened to me. And to answer your question, those conversations evolve as you go. Right. What does that mean? You know, when I started out, I was a, what I would call a retail advisor, okay. where everybody starts. You're cutting your teeth. You're just starting to learn. I told you my first check, two hundred and fifty dollars. Mm -hmm. Right? We're not talking a thousand. It's two hundred fifty bucks in a, yeah. in a college savings that you worked right and hours and go, hours for. Yeah. Okay. How do I set up that account? How do I not screw this up? Mm. You know. Then we're talking to prospects with two hundred fifty million liquid net worth. Their mindset, their needs, their knowledge out of the gate to get there is different. So you have to get on their level. Right. So now we're talking advanced tax planning, estate planning, like deep structural, very detailed offerings and, hmm. and solutions. Yeah. Right. Where doesn't fit the guy I used to work with. Yeah. Right. They don't have that need. So basically point one is know your shit. Yeah. Like you you're gonna get sniffed out if you're it, like if you can get this is what I try to tell people is like getting your foot in the door is really difficult. Staying in the room after you get your foot in the door is even more difficult. Can deserve to be there exactly because you're gonna you're gonna get kicked out. High level people can sniff out fakes. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't just hang in that yeah. circle for too long without people being like, "What are you?" That's why wealth wealth management is is broken in so many ways, and that's why people think I'm insane because I walked away from all of that. Yeah, but there's just a better way to do it, hmm. right? And I didn't feel good about what was happening there. And there's so many, there's so many good advisors, sure, right? Sure. But there's so many guys that portray a certain level of success or expertise yep. and it's smoke and mirrors, right? Mm -hmm. They just want the assets under management to charge the fee. Yep. There's no substance behind it. Yeah. Right? They're, they're just Eventually, really good that, at selling. And, and that's why yeah. people are inherently distrusting of financial services sure. and their advisor. And I do talks on kind of the pull the curtain back and he, here are the 10 to 12 ways that you as an individual investor are getting taken advantage of. Yeah. Right. Cause that system is built for the corporation, not the client. Yeah. And I start to 
kind of unpack this stuff and people inherently they can sense it right mm -hmm. i mean especially now there's so much information people are looking at how am i getting screwed yeah. where's the risk in this what's true what's not they can sense it's there right that industry is really good at burying this stuff and telling a story and spinning certain things so let's take like a specific example like 401k retirement plan your company off your company offers a 401k and you take it what are some of the things to watch out for or some of the things that you are potentially just getting screwed yeah man so first of all we could talk about retirement plans all day right you're so limited in typically what you can invest in in those they're usually fee heavy and retirement plans in general the government's figured that out so they yeah. give you a small tax break up front to let it grow tax-free and then they're going to tax your ass when you take it out and it's compounded for 30 years, right? Unless you're able to self-direct that account mm. and put it in specific investments that can really move the needle for you and get creative with how you do that, which really it comes down to the investments in general, yeah. right? The average investor, and most people don't know this, and I this is always fun for me. I challenge when someone comes in for a consultation because I work on a fee-for-service financial planning. So if you have your advisors, great, right? You're getting non-biased fiduciary advice from me. I love to see the accounts that are six to 10 different mutual funds, some exchange traded funds, a couple stocks, right? The average investor owns 10,000 investments hmm. or more. They have no idea, yeah. right? So it's positioned as, oh, you're properly diversified. Look at everything we've done to justify this 1% fee. Right. Diversification by the standards of modern portfolio theory, which guides all of this advice. Yeah. After 30 individual holdings, there's no more benefit for diversification. Hmm. So now you're so watered down and people wonder why the average investor, the S&P 500 has made 10% the last 10 plus years mm -hmm. on average. The average investor has still made less than that. Wow. You know, the, and that's why. The the fee structure too was one of the things when I when I first learned about that, it was like a mind blowing thing where, cause it just, they, they make it sound like it's not a lot. It's like, oh, we take our 1.5% sure. or whatever. Percentage is a theory. But then you, exactly. Then you start, then you start really peeling back what that means. And you compare that to like, when you're taking factors off of your compound interest over a 30 to 40 year time period, we're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like potentially millions, depending on how much money you have in the account. Then you throw the tax implications on top of that. For when you take the money half. out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what do we do? <laughs> you know, like how do we, yeah. how do we make sure we so, don't So, you know, I, we I've changed money? my whole, and I did. So I, you know, I had a, a long period of reflection of what am I doing here? I built this huge business outside looking in, mm -hmm. you know, and we worked I grew up, I drank that Kool-Aid, sure, right? Sure. It's a fee for service on yep. that amount of assets. Yep. I was very financially comfortable mm -hmm. and I could have rode that wave forever, Yep. right? But I don't, you know, my parents taught me to have some morals and yeah, responsibility sure. for the people you're working with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, how old I are you knew at this time? I'm 42 now, so I was 39, you know, executive director at Morgan Stanley, under 40, it's all the things, right? Mm -hmm. So inside that ecosystem- Right. Nobody expected me just to call it in one day and go, look, I don't feel good about this. Yeah. Wish you guys the best. I'm out of here. Mm. There's a better way to do it. So we reverse everything. So I took all of the good things from that industry and left all the bad. And I kind of point out all of the bad stuff, the way people get taken advantage of. Yeah. And the reality is there's so many things we could talk about here, man, but like financial planning, I think it's the craziest thing that you save 
and project, right? And I've done over 20,000 financial plans over the last 20 years. Wow. You save and everybody wants to know, what's your number? How much do I need to then pull a income stream from this account that's invested in stocks, bonds, maybe some other things, mm-hmm. right? Why wouldn't you buy your time back first? And that's where my reverse financial plan came about is, let's start buying your time back with passive income out of the gate. Yeah, like now. Now. Not in when you're 68. Don't do it when you're 68. Yeah. Because the 2008 comes and it wipes out, which is a whole thing of false diversification. Mm. You, you think you're diversified from all these investments, which really, you can argue stocks and bonds trade in accordance with each other now. Mm. They're so correlated. It's not like it was even 20 years ago. Yeah. And then yeah. you're going to pull one income stream and then you study what the ultra wealthy do. They don't have one income stream. They have multiple income streams, right? Mm-hmm. From very specific assets. Yeah. They own real estate, they own small business and they stay liquid. Yeah. So you work off those three pillars and diversify your income streams from those three core silos of asset, Yeah. right? Which is backed typically by a hard asset that you can go see and feel and touch mm-hmm. and know what you own, know why you own it. And most people can go ask their advisor, and I know this because I was guilty of this. If my clients would have came to me and said, hey, what are my top 10 actual holdings in my portfolio? No clue. I guarantee 99% of the advisors can't answer that question. For sure, me. sure. But you're paying that guy 1% every year right? to watch over your investments. <laughs> it's insane. To watch over them. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's insane. So basically, the way around it is to not, like you're saying, reverse retirement plan. So basically, you're not trying to get people to focus on retirement, what happens in 30 years from now. You're trying to get people to focus on how can I increase my income in the next one to three years. 100%. Through these like really proven models, like like real estate or uh, small business. or something. Become financially free when age is on your side. Yes. Right? Let's you get it. you financially free as fast as possible yeah. now. Instead of waiting to see what happens and what goes wrong in 30 years. Right. It's only going to get more difficult. 100%. You know, pensions are drying up. You know, the social security is going to be a joke by the time we get to retirement age. The 40-40-40 plan of, you know, work 40 years and then retire, you know, 40% of your income. That's like 40 hours a week, 40 years, 40% of your income. It's like, well, that maybe would have worked before when there were strong corporations that were yeah. around for a really long time and they paid their pension and everything was good and you got social security to help and you got all these other things. But it's like now that's what, that's what I tell people that are my age. I'm like, we are not going to be able to save our way to retirement. We are going to have to earn our way to retirement. 100%. And the faster you can figure out how to earn your way to doing that, the like more freedom you're going to enjoy your entire life, not just when you're retired. And then the more you set yourself up for like the golden years of that time period where you have, you just have options, you have choices. You're not forced to go be a greeter at Walmart because you don't yeah. have the skills of the new era. And you, it's been you know, a long time since you've been in like a career workforce and like, but you got to work because you don't have enough money. And, you know, just it's like, it's a terrible, vicious it, loop. It literally do. Like it gives me anxiety thinking about talking about that, like to be in my sixties or seventies and not have any money. I would like And and that's why I walked away from the business that I did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So talk me through now. So like if you're sitting down with a client, they're 35, they make six figures and they're just trying to figure out what to do with them. They got a little bit of money left over now. They got some savings and they're just trying to figure out what to do with their money. Like what, what, what do you sit down and and talk through with them? So one, I kind of reset their mindset, right? I teach them what they've been taught on saving, on investing, 
what's right about it, what's wrong about it. In my experience over 20 years working with starting with small clients, Mm -hmm. right? With a retail investor mindset, moving to the ultra wealthy, right? And success leaves clues, Mm -hmm. as we all know. Look at the Forbes 400 list. All of their money is made in small business or commercial real estate. 90% of it. Maybe you're a tech startup, something like that. Sure, sure. The vast majority. So whether you're 35, 45, 65, right? The name of the game is still the same. Hmm. Buy cash flow. Don't pay tax. That's what ultra wealthy people do. Buy cash right? flow. Don't pay tax. Buy cash flow. Don't pay tax and don't lose money. Where do you find cash flow? Commercial real estate, small business investments, whether it's a direct acquisition, it's a private equity fund. Like right now, <clears throat> my partner and I run a fund. I, I modeled all the best things from Morgan Stanley. And one of the best things that built that business was I used alternative investments because at the time I was the young guy and everybody had their gray haired stock and bond guy. Hmm. So I had to be different, tell a different story. Yeah. So I focused on private equity and private real estate and private debt to build that business and be unique. So now I offer direct access to those types of investments that we've done the due diligence on that you probably wouldn't be able to get access to at a Morgan Stanley if you didn't have at least $10 million liquid. If you're an accredited investor, now you're in the game. Okay. And now you've cut out six layers of fees to make an actual impact. So you guys basically just have like a simple, you know, like what rev share, profit share structure yep. for the fund. And so yep. you buy into the fund and then you get quarterlies or monthlies or annuals. Yeah. Or... So that pays quarterly. Okay. It's the best of both worlds. So it's preferred equity. Okay. So it's lower on the risk scale than true direct equity ownership. Okay. Define that. What's preferred equity versus. So basically the bank gets paid first if something went wrong. Then there's preferred equity, and then there's true pure equity investment to simplify it as best I can, right? So a little bit lower on the risk scale, Mm -hmm. right? If something did go wrong, but you're diversified over in that fund, it'll be a hundred plus businesses. Okay. Okay. It pays current cash flow because we're buying the baby boomer business that doesn't have a succession plan. The kids don't want it, but he's made his widget for 40 years Mm -hmm. and it's boring recession proof. And we're talking pest control and garage door repair, yeah, roofing, dry cleaners, know. yeah, car washes, uh, that, all that stuff, yeah. <clears throat> Basically, everything which are except the best bars businesses, restaurants. yeah, <laughs> They're like yeah, the best ones. Yeah. So you buy a, you know, sometimes thirty, forty year track record. Mm. They print cash, yeah. They haven't done enough sales and marketing and better operations, right? Because mm-hmm. they're working in the business to mm-hmm. make whatever widget they do. Mm-hmm. So you come over the top of that, you buy the cash flow, and then you can excel the valuation of that. And that's how most people do it are on you, the wealthier side. Are you installing operators in each of these businesses? Or like, how does that, how does that work? <clears throat> yeah. So typically the fund is either partnering with my partner, Kyle Mallion on that, has a wonderful track record. I sought him out because I wanted to recreate this style of fund. Okay. He trains and coaches and educates people. If you want to go be a business owner, how to find it, how to acquire it, how to fund it, mm-hmm. how to grow it, scale it, sell it. Got it. Right. So now he's got these trained people, coaches go over the top of these businesses. So you've got somebody trained with your skill set, mm-hmm. very specific buy box of what they buy. Yeah. Everything's a minimum 20% profit margin in the fund. Mm-hmm. So now you've got a trained person in there, their day-to-day boots on the ground. They have coaching over the top of them. You've got a track record of the business and you've acquired all the customers and the goodwill and everything already. Yeah. Right. 
So it's a much different risk profile. And that pays double-digit income out of the gate. And you get to 20% annualized returns if the growth targets are hit. So you're saying double-digit income. So like just to, again, simplify things and I don't, just tell me if you're not allowed to say something based on, you know, regulations or whatever, but if a credit investor comes in, they drop 100K in the fund. Is there like a guaranteed preferred rate of return that you're getting every year based on like what you expect the performances of the businesses to be? Or is it like you get 20% of profit or that comes out to so, being? Or? So here's how it works. Can't say guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. Of sure. Course. But we're buying businesses, the buy box, so to speak. A business is not being acquired, whether it's a minority ownership or full ownership in the, in the fund, if you don't have a minimum net 20% profit margin. So there's already cash flow there. Yeah. Right. And a 10 year track record. So we're paying out 12% current income split up over the year, paid out quarterly. And then you get a catch up, what's called a special dividend at the end of the year. Collectively, they look at the growth of the portfolio of businesses. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to get to a 20% annualized rate of return. So you get like almost like a bonus check at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. Interesting. So really like right now, it would, it would all, it would be kind of more advantageous for investors to kind of move away from like, you know, buying real estate and look more towards small businesses. Yeah. You still have to, we're always, I'm a risk manager first, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to navigate top down. What are markets doing? What market cycle are you in? Mm -hmm. Where are we at fiscally, economic policy, so on and so forth. Yeah. Commercial real estate is going to have trouble. I think most people kind of inherently can see that. Yeah. The banking system has a lot of issues, mm-hmm. which will spill over to the stock market. And the reality is you have no control over publicly traded stocks and bonds. What about residential real estate? Residential real estate, look, you can always find a good deal. Right? Sure. We talked about this The deal is the deal if it's a deal. The deal is the yeah. deal. But it's like Residential is a bit different yeah. than yeah. commercial, right? I think you're going to see more issues in commercial, okay. you know. Commer- what's defined as commercial real estate. Is that just an overabundance of loans? Is that like lack mm-hmm. of demand because of people working virtually? Is it kind of a perfect storm mixture of it's high a, interest rates and everything else mixed It's together? a bit of a perfect storm. Okay. You know, what the Fed has created by lowering and rising interest rates and printing money. Yeah. And all of these loans were, were derived. It's interesting. 10% of the exposure in commercial real estate lending is with the major five banks. 10%. 10% now, 90% with all the other banks, regional, sure. on down. Before 2008, it was the, the opposite. Wow. Right? So it tells you something. Those banks, they're not stupid, yeah. right? The Morgan Stanleys, the JP Morgans, they know what's going on. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so they're so just those banks stopping. have all of this debt on the books. Yeah. Rates have changed. Significantly. Their price of money has changed. They don't have enough deposits on demand in a lot of cases. That's why you see a run on a bank like you did in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. Silicon Valley Bank, yeah. Right? So a lot of those loans potentially will default. Now, mm-hmm. who knows what the Fed does? And there's talks of assumptions they'll lower rates next year mm-hmm. to kind of right-size that and provide a little more liquidity. The election cycle's coming up. Election, which, you know, all that Everybody stuff. wants to look better around that time. But when you look at it as a risk manager first- there's definitely a higher risk level there yeah. with a lot of unknowns. Unknowns. Yeah, exactly. So my wife and I are actually buying a franchise right now. And that's the exact reason. It's like any, any time before it was like, hey, we have a little bit extra money. Let's put yep. it in a real estate something, yep. you know, a fund, a buddy runs or whatever, you know, buy a house, with whatever, you know, buy a flip yep. with my parents, something, you know, put, put some money in real estate. 
And now it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do that. You so know? right now we're focused on liquidity. Yeah. Right. Keep cash on the sidelines because mm. sooner than later, you're going to see a lot of opportunity lot of in commercial deals. real estate. It's like cash is like, to me, like cash is never king until it is, you know what I mean? That's right. It's like, That's it's, right. It's like, you don't want any cash. And, and at then least all money sudden, markets are paying you something now, right? So sure. it's much better than it's been the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. And then you buy cash flow in other places, mm. right? So you're looking at, in, in my situation, my opinion, you're looking at private business acquisition, mm. whether it be a fund or direct ownership or yeah. syndication, whatever it may be. And then private credit, private debt, right? You become the bank for these types of projects. Give me a little more information about that. Is this like a fund that you guys operate or is this kind of we do, in your fund, you do debt and- We do some debt in the fund, okay. but we also do direct Mostly syndications. Equity. I'll give you a great example. Right now we have a we are first lien, we are the bank for a A-class multifamily property in Cleveland. Okay. Right? It's worth $8 million. We're putting 40% leverage on it. Okay. And it's paying 12% to our investors. When you say you're putting 40% leverage, so you put 60% down and 40% is financed. So we're opposite. actually coming in, they need some more liquidity to finish the renovations. Okay. Oh, you're talking, <laughs> you're, so you didn't buy it. You're saying this is the short term. We're the bank. Got yep. it. Got it. Yep. They already own the asset. They need some liquidity to finish renovations. Got it's a 12 it. okay. month loan secured by an $8 million asset. Okay. So you're so when you say 40% leverage, then you're saying that you lend to them 40% of the current value of the, value. Of the property. That's right. Got it. So there's a lot of room in there for protection. If sure. something went wrong and they didn't pay, which they've already escrowed your first all of your interest. You. Yeah, yeah. Right. Got so it. things like that, where you're securitized by an asset that's worth more than two times the money you that have you have out put into it, it yeah, yeah. right? Mm. It's a different risk profile. Yeah. And then they pay typically higher interest because they didn't have to go through and get all their financials the audited ease, by a bank right? and that's they can the, get the money opportunity and, in private credit. Yeah. Right. People use that term loosely, but when banks tighten like they have. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting fast access to capital, <clears throat> you're willing to pay more to get access to that capital. 100%. So okay, there's so, opportunity. You just need to navigate the markets and find yeah. what makes sense. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's just so hard. Like when you, you know, I, a lot of friends that I grew up with are just like, they're not in the business world at all. They're not, yep. in, they're, they don't think about it. They just like, they have the 401k, maybe, maybe, maybe they have a match on it and they put money that they have the match and then they spend everything else. Just like they have the 401k and then they like, well, after I put money in that and after I taxes gets taken out, it's like, I got whatever, $6,500 a month coming in. That means that's the amount of, the amount of money I can go spend every month. Yep. And it's like, I, I I guess, you know, it's just like, but that like, you know, you're leaving, you're, you're trusting so much of your entire future. It's like, it's, it's a bummer because it's easy for me to say that people should be more interested in finances because I'm really interested in finances, yeah. you know, but it, it's like somebody else that, you know, whatever goes to church telling me that I should be interested in church because they love church. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you know, I don't, so I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, it's, it's easier for me to say that you should be interested more in your finances. But to me, it's like, it's so much more than that. If you take zero interest in your finances and you leave it up to some dude that you're trusting in a chair that you never even met before because your boss told you that this is the 401k plan that most people sign up for, and then you're just going to leave that up to that, like that, it's not just your finances that you're leaving up to somebody else. It's literally your lifestyle, your freedom, your entire future that you're leaving to somebody else. That that that's like tangible. It's it's really difficult for me to like articulate to people like how dire of the circumstance, like how dire the circumstance is. That you cannot, you cannot just trust that, you know, the 401k plan has your back Could or not that agree the government more. is totally on my side and helping me retire better. Yeah. Right. Like, right. You got to do something. It's a false sense proactive. of security. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest failure in life 
you know, our kids are about the same age, yeah. you know, which puts a different perspective on the world, right? To me, my biggest failure in life is if I could not provide for them in the way that I want to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that would kill me, you know, yep. it hurt me to my core. Yeah, eat me right? up, man. And to your point, you're leaving all of your financial security to somebody that you really don't know what's going on. You don't know why you own it. Yeah. You don't know how it works in a lot of cases. Yeah, it's uh, but that's it's a the recipe way for you've disaster. Been trained to do it, so that's why right, exactly. Does it, to, right? to, yeah, to be fair, it's not to a detriment of the investor. Totally. Right? To be fair, wealth yeah, management does a very good job of marketing that this is how it's done and this yeah. is why you do this, and right. everyone does it. So and you nobody was too. taught any different. That's it. You know that that's the goes back to our beginning of the conversation. The education, yeah. practical right. knowledge, man. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Like I don't know how many. Like if I throw out a percentage, it would just be totally me making up a number, but. It's got to be a large majority of people that don't even understand how their credit card APR works. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, because when, like when I was in high school, I just was like, oh, I'm a math guy, right? Yep. 24% interest. That means if I buy a $1,000 item, I pay 24%. Well, that's not too bad if I'm trying to delay payments on that or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, that's not how APR works. That's right. You know what I mean? That's like right. you have to actually pay that sum every year you carry the balance yep. on a monthly basis. It's like so your minimum credit card payments like oh my minimum I can pay, I can make my minimum payments no only $54 a month yep. you know what I'm saying but like $54 like 30 of it's going to interest yeah <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. like you're not actually paying down it's not built for you to you know what I mean it's just yep. people don't have the information they're in and if you don't actively pursue the information it's not going to like get dropped in your lap unfortunately it's just a it's an epidemic of financial illiteracy that is that is going to be ultimately exactly detrimental it. to an entire generation of people. And that's exactly why I changed from that model to, you know, my passion is education on this yeah. this topic across the board. And my skill set just happens to be working with a higher net worth client. But, yeah. you know, it, it spans all, all things start to finish. Sure. Credit card debt. I mean, so let's let's help some people out then at the end of this, just so it's yeah. really basic financial things. You know, say somebody's listening to this, they make 80 grand a year. They have less than five thousand dollars in their savings account. They have eight thousand a month in expenses, and they have fifteen thousand in credit card debt. And they have no idea why they keep losing money. Yeah, like what? What's where do you start? You start by establishing your baseline, right? Find what's taking away from your wealth, mm-hmm. right? Cut that. So now you're net positive at least. So first thing, cut it. Like look at your look at what you're spending money on and cut the fat. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Credit card debt, figure out a plan to pay that down as fast as possible. Yeah. Get rid of all high interest debt, number two. Yeah. And then start to establish a game plan. Now you can go on offense. Mm-hmm. And if I were to tell anyone, and if I did it all over again, I would be buying cash flow. Okay. Right. Okay. However, you can do that, however much you can afford. I mean, mm-hmm. now there's crowdfunding sites and things like that where you can buy into yeah. commercial real estate projects for not much money, right? And build your way to buying your time back being financially free. What's the most amount of cash you should just have sitting in a bank? Like you should have an emergency savings account, right? Like in case something happens with your job or, yeah. you know, something unforeseen happens, you got to replace all your tires on your car, your transmission blows, whatever. Yep. You want to have emergency savings. What should that account look like? For the basic level of that, if it's just protection against risk that we, you just mentioned, a year's worth of salary is probably fine. Okay. You know, and that's fine to keep in like just a Chase bank account, savings, money okay. market account. Yeah. Now you can earn five, five and a half percent on that. Where do you get the money market account? It's your local bank. So you Chase 
would have yeah. an option where you could just go in and be like, hey, I want this not to be a savings account. I want it to be a money market account and I want to keep the money. Money market savings. Yeah. The terms are kind of interchangeable. Yeah. But, the institution, but the same account four years ago would have paid 1.5% interest yeah. or something like that. Not and, even and, less than a percent. Okay. And now yeah. it's paying yeah. over five. Yep. Okay. So you have that money there and then- Basically, now you have a little bit of excess on your income. Mm-hmm. If you've done everything that we just talked about, sure. you're out of credit card debt and you're getting yourself out of that freaking crazy high interest, just bury you till you have no more money left debt. Get out of that as fast yeah. as you can, any way that you can. And then you have a little bit of excess money. So just start putting this away and then looking for opportunities. And Yeah, and save until you deals. reach critical mass. Right. You have to be able to invest your level of net worth, liquid net worth affords you different opportunities. We Mm -hmm. talked about if you're an accredited investor, which is a million dollar liquid net worth minus your primary home, or there's an income test. Yeah. Right. If you're married $300,000 a year for the last two years, Mm -hmm. you're single 200,000. Right. Mm -hmm. That allows you to get into more private style investments that we've discussed previously in in this episode. But if you're not, you can still find the crowdfunding. You can find that type of stuff that gives you access to those style of investing. But yeah. the thesis remains the same, right? Buy cash flow, minimize your tax on that. Buy cash flow, minimize cash. Man, this has been a great conversation, Dana. Where can be if somebody's like, uh, that's all sounds awesome. It sounds like way too much work to go try to vet anything else. How can I yeah. just give you money? Where where do people do that? <laughs> that's usually how it works yeah. out. Uh you can find me Cornell Capital Holdings. Okay. Holdings with an S dot com. That's my website. I'm on there. Emails on there. Perfect. You know, all social media, Cornell Capital Holdings. Cornell Capital Not- Holdings. If you want to go connect with Dana and be on the lookout for a podcast that yeah. he's going to be launching soon. It's going to be fun. to keep hounding him. Pull the curtain back and yeah. start revealing all these secrets of wealth management. Yeah, it's exactly. going to be fun, man. Cool, dude. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Hope you have a good rest of the trip in Vegas. For those listening, watching, be sure to check out Dana, everything that he's got going on. Check out some of the content he's consume, or, or putting out there. And then you guys have an event coming up as well, right? We do. Yep. So Kyle, who I mentioned before, Kyle Malian and myself doing a joint event, be in Carlsbad the February 7th, okay. I believe. Cool. So if anyone's interested in that, half of it's on small business acquisition. You want to break free and become a business owner and buy into that American dream. He's coaching, teaching all of his life lessons on that. I'm redoing your mindset, showing you how to maximize the assets you have, minimize tax liability, and then we'll show some live examples day four on how to how to implement that. Where so can they powerful. go to grab a ticket to that? Again, just shoot me an email, go to cornellcapitalholdings.com, reach out, and we'll get you connected with our cool. our team to set it up. Perfect. Cornell Capital Holding. That's where you can go to learn everything about Dana, to go to the event, to give him some money if you got some money laying around and you're scared to put it in real estate like I am right now. Dude, thanks so much for coming on. Remember, everybody watching this, leave every relationship better than you found it. Catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.